Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a Japanese version of a pizza. And I am Goju Shang. Welcome to episode 161, Collision in Korea. Two legends, one country. <laughs> Two Awaited. legends, one country. Someone didn't do their homework. I know, I was checking this... Um, they referred to this event as an international sports and culture festival for peace. I forgot about the tagline because I wanted to shoehorn that in. <laughs> you are correct. This was a joint production of the Pyongyang International Sports and Culture Festival for Peace by New Japan Pro Wrestling and WCW. It would actually take place on April 28th and 29th, 1995 at the May Day Stadium in Pyongyang, North Korea, with a combined attendance of 355,000 people. <laughs> Damn. Mm-hmm. The show would then air in North America on pay-per-view on August 4th, 1995, with a selection of the matches from the two shows. Dang. Like one day, I think it was 190, and the other day was... It's like 165 and then 190. Yeah, 165. Yeah. And the second day being 190 because of Antonio Inoki, who was trained by, is it? Ricky Dozen. Ricky Dozen. I almost said Ricky Choshin. I was like, that's not right. Ricky Dozen, <laughs> who uh, is was at least half Korean or was he full Korean? Yeah, I think he was half. But yeah, so that's the connection for the Korean audience, the Korean government, uh, and we all know Inoki, ever the politician. So 165,000 show up on the first day, and then they realized that not everybody that was supposed to be there had shown up, so threats got sent out, and those mm. other 35,000 had to get off their asses and show up the next day, eh? I guess so. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. It's very maybe, possible. Maybe the other 35,000 were the people that did maybe the opening ceremony, there you so go. they got the evening off after they uh, you know, had to get out of costume and Could be. did their dances and things. The opening ceremony, I wish... We got to see more of it. Yeah, well, it was I mean, better quality. Yeah, that's the thing is, I wish there was a video of it that was high def, 4K, something like that. Because I bet it would have been incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Like you don't quite get the scope of it in the low quality, and they don't show very much of it. No. But you like, you we all love to see that thing. I remember the Olympics in China, not these last ones, but previously where everyone was like, "Holy shit, <laughs> look yeah. at this opening." And granted, this is in China, but it's a similar uh, visual style as far as that many people involved in synchronized movement. But we are in Korea. So it literally is a trip around the world to find us something delicious to eat. Ooh, yeah. So what did you bring for us this time? Well, we're in Korea. And unfortunately, on Sundays in Oklahoma City, it's not always easy to find everything that you want. So I had to go with what I could get. Uh, I really, really wanted to get these Korean chicken sandwich thingies from this place that we went to a few weeks back called The Parlor. Um, but they uh, were not available for delivery, and I could not go and get them. So I ordered mm. some uh, Korean takeout through a place called Gojigo. Possibly Gogigo. I'm not for sure the correct pronunciation. We'll go with whatever you want to go with. I'm going to call it Goji Go. Goji Go. Yeah. But I went for, uh, they've got a wide variety of stuff on there. Some uh, different bowls and appetizers and little snackies and whatnot. But I figured I'd go for something that would be hearty, hopefully flavorful, and it just sounded kind of good on the menu. Some uh, Korean fried chicken, 
which I believe is just dark meat that is lightly battered and fried nice, extra crispy, and then some kimchi fried rice. I had requested that it be topped with green onion and sesame seed and peanuts, but only the green onion seemed to have made it. Aww. <laughs> it was still good. The kimchi oh, yeah. rice is nice. No mini corn? No mini corn. No baby corn. No nope. 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 Yeah, it was pretty good. It, in my opinion, needed a little sauce on the chicken or something, but luckily Michael had some sriracha and a little bit of soy sauce so I could drizzle make, make a little some, bit. Make some uh, Asian A1. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It might be because it was delivery. It might be the reason why the chicken was a little drier. Drier, because yeah. it kind of sat in the container for a little bit longer than it probably should have. Yeah, but I mean, and it was yeah, it was done. The the, fl- the flavor of it, other than it being just a little bit dry, it, it was good. Oh yeah, and the and the rice was very good. Yeah, I mean, they did. It was still crunchy, even though. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, and I, I mean that's the trick. Still crispy. It's, the rice uh, was still very corn flavorful. And... Corn starch is the trick. Telling Absolutely. You. <clears throat> but yeah, I'm not mad. I'd uh, I definitely order from there again just to see what other stuff from there is like. I figured I'd go on the safer side because never ordered from there before. But yeah, I know. Pretty now tasty. It makes me want to make my own kimchi fried rice. Let me. Uh, that was pretty great. Do my obligatory bite on the air. Let's see. Can we hear the crunch of the chicken? Nope. Absolutely. <laughs> not, not too much, but I heard it. It was good. Loud and clear. Loud and clear. Well, something that would happen right around the same time as Collision in Korea, uh, the week before, the got a few movies that hit hit theaters. The Net, okay, never Kids, seen it. I have seen it. Overrated. Operation Dumbo Drop, yeah, and saw it in Waterworld. The <laughs> uh, I love Waterworld. I know you do. Um, Ew. <laughs> I've never seen the Net. Is that that's Sandra Bullock, Sandra Bullock and hacking? Then, hacking. Yeah. yeah, sounds fun. Uh, it's great kids, uh, Larry Clark of uh, Tulsa, real creep. Written by Harmony Korine, directed by Larry Clark. Uh, okay, I was like, is that somebody who made it, or was he one of the kids? Or... He, no, he directed it. Harmony Korine wrote it. He was like nineteen. I'm like, I should never say this out loud, but I'm a Harmony Korine fan. <laughs> uh, kids is definitely not my the Harmony Korine movie uh, for me, but he didn't direct it. Have they? written or directed anything else that i may have seen spring breakers um okay it was harmony Korean gummo you ever see gummo yeah uh it's harmony Korean. uh trash humpers uh, i gotta look um, to make sure I'm trying, um as you can tell harmony Korean does it right mainstream no i think his, his closest was uh spring breakers he recently did beach bum uh which is kind of like what if harmony Korean made an adam sandler movie it is wild interesting Let's see here. Um, I'm missing another big one. Julian Donkey Boy. Most of his movies are upsetting. It sounds like Just it. Just so you know. Uh, I think the only... I have seen Kids a long time ago because it was kind of like one of those like... V- it lived on VHS. It's like, you got to see this thing. It's crazy. You have to see it. It's crazy. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I so I definitely saw it out. a long time ago. Yeah. And then I saw Spring Breakers and... It had its charms, but... I was hyped for it, but like I said, I'm more of a Korean fan. And see, every time somebody says Spring Breakers, I always get it confused with Spring... Spring Break. I get it confused with Spring Breakdown, which is a cheesy comedy with, like, Rachel Dratch and (laughs) Amy Poehler and... Forgot about Rachel Dratch. (laughs) That's definitely a crossing of the... <laughs> yeah, you had somebody else, uh, Missy Pyle or whatever her name is, that's drunk, hugging a tree. I want you to tell us about your love for Waterworld, though, because I know you love this movie. Um, it's just one of those, I rented this movie on VHS as a kid, and in the first five minutes, Kevin Costner uh, is on a raft, and he pisses into a contraption and then drinks his own piss, and as a small child, I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in a movie is that he made his piss drinkable and then he drank it. Probably says a lot about me and probably why I'm a Harmony Korean fan. But, it's a good uh, thing he didn't like take his shoe off and start sucking his own toe or something. <laughs> no, I don't want that. I, I'm, uh, I have a foot phobia. But yeah. the uh, And I had not seen any of the Mad Max movies at this point in my life. I was pretty young. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Mad Max series, but Waterworld is Mad Max uh, on the water. And uh, I had not seen any Mad Max movies or was probably even aware of them uh, at that young age, so I, this was probably had an effect similar to like a road warrior on somebody, a decade 
ahead of time at the at a, at a similar age. So I recognize that Waterworld is a uh, flawed movie, but it's a blast, and Dennis Hopper is a villain. Always a good time. I will admit, I have never seen Waterworld. It's fun. <sighs> no, it's like not. literally, the, it's fun. literally, it came out and people just shat all over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I was just like, I don't need to see this. Mm-hmm. It's fun. There's one really bad, some one scene with like some really horrific CGI, but outside of that, uh, it's pretty good. It looks pretty good. No, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry. I like Waterworld. I worked at Blockbuster okay. when uh, all of these movies came out on video. Um, I was Waterworld. a little kid. It was exciting. I know you were one of those little kids that I said, "Shut up and go over <laughs> and look at the look at Waterworld." Yeah. Babe is right over there. Oh, Babe! <laughs> Babe's definitely better than Waterworld. Babe's yeah. a Stone Cold classic. Yeah. Um, no, Waterworld, I, I already had issues with Kevin Costner, and then he made a unnecessary, shitty... I mean, it. some of the stuff they did in Waterworld, I'll give him credit for, because it became helpful to the world many, many years later. But Don't the movie shoot on itself... Water. <laughs> it's a It's a famously, like... Laborious uh, production. Yeah, uh, so it was there's... the most expensive movie ever made at one point. Yeah, I don't know if it still is that, but I don't think it is. Definitely not. not. But yeah, at the they, time, at the time, it was. There's Avatar now. So. Yeah, true. I, yeah, it was basically kind of like obviously not nearly as good of a movie as Apocalypse Now, but it had that kind of like holy shit, like this is way harder than we expected it to be, and it cost way more money than we thought. Yeah. That's why they made Mad Max in the desert. Because they were well, I mean, George Miller's <laughs> from uh, Australia too, so it makes sense. But no, du- uh, Waterworld, no. Operation Dumbo Drop. And we kind of talked it about was, it a few weeks ago. It whatever. was cute, fun. I saw whatever, that was the one that I saw movie. in the theater because I was young enough to where it's like, oh, we take him to see the. Yeah. I think it's a Disney movie. That was the yeah. one with Ray Liotta, correct? Uh, Dennis Leary and Danny Glover. Yeah, I remember. I so. Yeah, the uh, it's not the one with Bill yeah. Murray. I only saw no, that one one that time. That was larger than life. Yeah, yeah. I only saw it one time just because we used to get movies for free at Blockbuster, so I'd check out everything. Um, kids, Blockbuster was a family restaurant or a restaurant, a family rental place, so kids was not allowed. Uh, yeah, kids uh, is on so our shelves fun. because it was NC seventeen. So for good I had reason. to send people to the mom and pop shops down the street or to Hollywood Video to rent kids, but the net. Let me just tell you something. The Net was great. Uh, the Net was the movie that I skipped class at college to go see constantly because the Dollar Theater was right off of campus. So if I didn't want to go to class, I'd just walk over and see the Net. I watched the Net like two I think weeks the, in a row. I think the Net is a very fun movie. Yes, yeah. I haven't obviously seen it probably in twenty plus years. So it may be. It I mean, I, I can guarantee it's if you probably were to, very dated. If you were to put it doing something with computers in well, 1995, the, the net is what inspired a lot of the things that we have today. Like that was the first time on film or TV that you know we have online ordering now because on the net, Sandra Bullock ordered a pizza online to be delivered, and then it caught on from there. Um. So, Whoa. what do you uh, tell uh, you? <laughs> what mind? Blow. We have Sandy Bullock. What's the what are the um if you were to put both films on the scales of justice, The Net and Hackers, which one sinks and which one rises? The Net is a more fun film that I would give to just anyone. Hackers is the better film. Oh really? The Hackers I think is just a good goofy time. Is the net even goofier? No. Okay. It's just more your like thrill. Suspense. Suspense. Oh, okay. Thriller. Okay. Yeah. It's not as it's not as like it's about identity. It's theft. not. Yeah. It's not like is like it's not a wacky teen movie. No. Angela Bennett is out to clear her name. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> I mean, of all of these, Net's the one I um, have not seen. So. It's got. I might have to uh, hack into some. Uh, so your homework by... is to watch the Net. I'll take the homework of watching Waterworld. <laughs> I have a I have a beautiful Blu-ray collection of Waterworld. I've watched them all, so... Shane's good. So your homework is some other movie that you want to choose. Yeah. Um, or I might just watch The Net again, because... <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you love The great. Net. Or we, and then we should all watch The hacker is, Hackers as well. Yeah, Hackers is fun. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen Hackers. Zero so Cool, That was baby. my introduction to Angelina Jolie, and what was her old husband's name? Uh, uh, Bob Thornton? No. The guy that she was married to that's in Hackers. 
one of the main guys. Uh, like the main dude, the curly Johnny hair something, Johnny Lee Miller or Johnny Lee Miller. Yeah, Is that his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were together. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I probably knew that and just had forgotten. <laughs> no, I I can't. If you've never seen the net, watch the net. It's great. <laughs> Annie Lennox has some songs on the soundtrack. Even it's what I learned. What a uh, a gimlet was. That's what I learned. What cocktail onions were all about. Or sorry, was it Gimlet, Gibson? Which one? Whichever one has the onion. I think it's Gibson. Now that I'm saying that. Anywho, yeah, it's great, great movie. It was the uh, number one, one number one rental at Blockbuster that year when it came out. Not only did it inspire online ordering pizza, but it helped inspire Blockbusters. We need a hundred copies of this for any big title or movie they think is going to be a big title. You're welcome, world. Yeah, more chains singing the praises of the net of. I'd say mostly forgotten movie at this point. Mm-hmm. It's great. Well, let's see if Collision in Korea is a forgotten show. We get highlights of competitors along with scenes from the festival. And it's, I think we've kind of said it, it feels very opening ceremonies anytime we see scenes from the festival. Grandiose. Really yeah. Eric Bischoff then welcomes us, and he is joined by Mike Tanay. In Kazoo Ishikawa. Now, if you recognize Ishikawa, it's because he's Sonny Ono. Oh, no. Who we last saw at Uncensored 1995, episode 146. And the three discuss the political nature of the show, along with how the crowd will respond, as Korea doesn't really know wrestling. Yeah, it seems like they said that they've been playing, like, Ric Flair and Anoki matches on, like, TV. Up like, literally, it. they had two TV stations, and one of them was just playing a bunch of old wrestling matches. Yeah, it's, so... Yeah. Just give them a little taste. So we go straight to our first match. Two Cold Scorpio versus Wild Pegasus. And the match starts with a back and forth as the two trade wrist locks with athletic escapes before trading monkey flips from a knuckle lock position into a shared roll-up sequence from multiple two counts. Scorpio then sends Benoit to the corner and charging in, only to be dumped out to the apron, where Too Cold leaps up to the ropes, coming off with a moonsault press and a super kick for a near fall. Body slammed by Scorpio before heading up top again, going for a splash, which Wild Pegasus avoids and starts laying it in with a knee to the midsection, a rubber band slam, and a drop kick to send Too Cold out to the floor. And yeah, we got too cold firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. We know he started as a, a, a slippy, flippy boy, but he's looking pretty solid here. Benoit tries to bring Scorpio in the hard way, only for too cold to float over and deliver another super kick. Scorpio then goes for a tombstone pile driver, but Wild Pegasus reverses to hit one of his own before heading up top for this swan dive headbutt. For the pin! And, and the, the win. win. Good start to the day. Yeah, it's nice and quick. Yeah. Exciting. Uh, you know, I mean, you put these guys on first for a reason. I don't know. Granted, this is a compilation of the matches. But I imagine this was probably an opening match on one of the shows. Eh, it might have been the second or third match yeah. on day one. I don't yeah. remember. Uh, I love Eric Bischoff just going in hard. Oops, calling it. North Korea, a commie country. It doesn't even bother saying, like, communist. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, wow. he's, he's a real uh, shitheel on this show. We then go to our second match. Tokamitsu Ishizawa versus Yuji Nagata. Now, Ishizawa would become better known as Kendo Kashin once he would return from excursion. As of right now... Both him and Nagata are young lions. That's what my guess was. I was like, all right, well, they're both in black trunks, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Some some Japanese wrestlers just wrestle in black trunks. But uh, my assumption was that they were young lions. So does Nagata get a new name? No. No. Okay. He's Yuji Nagata till the day he dies, which hopefully isn't anytime soon. And the last time we saw Yuji was at Battle 7, episode 140, our January 4th show, which is where a lot of these guys will last time we saw but so both men are trained in amateur wrestling so they quickly take this match to the mat 
as they trade leg locks and arm locks. Tokamitsu transitions into a body scissors sleeper, even as Yuji continues to work the leg until they reach the ropes. Ishizawa starts stomping away on Nagata, delivering some European uppercuts before applying a sleeper, which he then transitions into a cross arm breaker, only for Yuji to make the ropes. Nagata comes back with a T-bone suplex before hooking on the Nagata Lock 3, which is a cross-face, scissored arm bar combo, for the submission and, and the win. win. And I was surprised to hear it here, but if we've seen the dark side of the ring on this, uh, Eric Bischoff talks about his run that he takes in the morning and how he was freaked out that he was being like followed the whole time and they're just like yeah just go back inside because uh, everybody's basically here but they're here on lockdown <laughs> uh, so I was surprised that he was saying that like in the pay-per-view uh, as opposed to like they are not recording this in Korea they are not they definitely are not this is not for Korean television but I was still a little surprised that he was just like throwing those those jabs they then show us footage more footage of the dancers from before the show, like I said, very opening ceremonies-esque. Yeah. Uh, we, go, we then go to our third match. Ukami Gundan of Masahiro Chono and Hiro Saito versus El Samurai and Tadao Yashuda. So the last time we saw Chono, Battle 7, episode 140, Saito was all the way back at Super Show 2. Mm. Episode 65. Damn, been a little bit. Uh, Yashuda is actually a former sumo wrestler, even making it to Komosube. Ah, big boy. Which is the fourth highest rank. Is that right? Yeah, it goes... Yokozuna. Uh, Ozeki, Ozeki. Komo, Komosubi. Okay, so it's the No, 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 uh, yeah. Komosubi and then Sekiwaki, right? It's either Sekiwaki Komosubi or Komosubi Sekiwaki. Yeah, I always get this. It's in wait. It's in alphabetical order. So Komosubi is the third one. Somebody taught me that trick once. It's like, oh, well, you know the first two, but but the second two, it's it's in alphabetical order. Okay, that's where I was confused. I'm like, but Yokozuna's first. (laughs) No, no, that's just one of my uh, yeah, one of my friend. Shout out my friend David. He's like, I always forgot, but that's how I remember. What's up, Dave? (laughs) I know. I just have to write it down when we do fancy sumo. So yeah. We're some sumo fans over here, so I uh, don't know a lot about uh, Tadeo Yasuda, but uh, it's fun to see him do some sumo-esque things in the ring here. But he had, re- I mean, obviously he had retired from sumo a few years prior. Gundan takes turns working over Yasuda's arm to start before he's able to tag in Samurai, who pounds away on Saito before hitting a body slam and a leg drop for a two count. Chono comes in, nailing Samurai with a Kikuza kick. But El Samurai comes back with a sunset flip for a near fall. Yashuda's tagged in and he delivers a big boot and a body slam, followed by going for an elbow drop. But Chono is basically already back on his feet when he drops it. <laughs> he might be big, but he's not fast. Yasuda is a large guy. <laughs> Gundan with a double team clothesline, followed by a senton by Saito. But Yashuda uses his power to take Hiro to his corner, bringing in Samurai only for him to miss a drop kick as Saito holds on to the ropes. Gundam's working over Samurai with a spine buster by Saito, a camel clutch and inverted atomic drop by Chono. Saito returns only to telegraph a back body drop, allowing Samurai to kick him and make the hot tag. Yoshida's in with a vertical suplex, palm strikes and a big boot to Saito. Chono comes in to receive some palm strikes as well as an avalanche splash in the corner followed by a body slam. Samurai flies in off the top with a headbutt for a two count, but then Chono's trick knee acts up as he mule kicks El Samurai. Gundan with a double team, including a whip into a Yakuza kick, followed by Chono hitting a top rope shoulder block for the pin and and the win. Bischoff then sends us to a video package where we see Ric Flair, Muhammad Ali, Antonio Inoki, and others doing some promotional work around Korea. Yeah, walking around, they show them the sights. And then we go to our fourth match. Manami Toyota and Mariko Yoshida versus Akiro Hakata 
and Bull Nakano. These are some big names, guys. Oh, so, yeah. If you don't know. Fucking uh, Akira Hokuto comes out with awesome, like, demon mask and katana. Yeah, see, it's great. it threw me at first, because seeing the two of them walk down, I was like, all right, I know Bull, big blue hair, and then, you know, the other one walking behind with big red wig or yeah, yeah, something like that. To, connected to the mask. And then and... I looked away from the TV for a second, and then looked back, and then I had to try and figure out, all right, which one is she? Because... <laughs> Nobody looks like they were in the costume that I just saw walking down to the <laughs> ring. Yeah. I mean, the one I'm least familiar with is uh, Mariko Yoshida, but like Manami there Toyota. There might be a reason for that. And Akira Hokuto, <laughs> and then, of course, Bull Nakano uh, are all uh, big names for 90s women's wrestling. In fact, Akuto is a Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer, and she would actually also marry Kanzuke Sasaki later this year. Huh? Some fun personal information yeah, about cool. her. Were they talking about Which that they do the mention, show? Which okay. they do mention later in the show. Because I heard them talking about something about playing matchmaker for a Sasaki, but I didn't hear the name that they were talking about. While Toyota is also a Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer, and at this point had won Match of the Year in 1993, but she would also win it for 1995. Okay, in a match, not, on this, not for this match specifically, but... For a different match that she would have in, in her all, promotion. All Japan, right? Yeah. And the last time we saw Nakano was at SummerSlam 94, episode 130. So Toyota and Yoshida go for a handshake. But Akuda and Nakano dump Toyota out to the floor and start working over Yoshida with double team maneuvers until Toyota comes flying in off the top rope with a crossbody onto Akuda and Nakano. Toyota and Nishida try for some double-team maneuvers of their own, only for Nakano to take them down with a double clothesline, followed by a clothesline to Toyota to turn her inside out. Toyota is then being tossed around by Nakano, where she fires up with a drop kick and multiple second-rope missile drop kicks for a two-count. Yoshida's tagged in, but as she is taken down immediately with a clothesline from Nakano, before Akuto flies in off the top rope with a splash for a near fall. Okuto keeps up the attack with a spinning heel kick and a pile driver for a two count before locking on a Romero special. Surfboard. Surfboard. Nakano tags in to lock on a Bulls Angelino stretch, which we've seen this move before. It's a half sharpshooter, half butterfly lock move. I found that Paige actually used to do it as the Paige tap out, the PTO. So we have seen it. Other, I'd never seen it before. We saw Nakano do it, but I never really watched a whole lot of Paige. So. Yeah, and see, I mean, when Paige did it, I think hers was different than. Yeah, it was slightly Nakano. different. Because I mean, Bull was big old beast, and Paige was this little thing. So yeah, yeah. hers hers went on a little differently. Toyota <laughs> runs in and breaks up that hold. Nakano continues to work the back of Yoshida with more stretches before hitting a leg drop. And then Yoshida is tossed to the ropes by Akuto. Coming back, she cartwheels away from a clothesline before hitting a crossbody, a pair of handspring back elbows, and a fisherwoman suplex for a near fall. I mean, yeah, these girls are firing in on all cylinders. They are flying from all sides of the ring quite wonderfully. <laughs> Yoshida goes to the top rope, only for Akuto to meet her there, bringing Yoshida down with a superplex for the pin. And no, Yoshida kicks out. Hakuto is holding Yoshida for Nakano to come in off the second rope with a clothesline, only for Yoshida to move to avoid, allowing her to make the tag to Toyota, who comes in with a splash off the top rope. But Hakuto gets her feet up into both Toyota's. Up. Of the both boots up. Nakano delivers a power bomb for a two count, tries for another, but Toyota rolls through for a sunset flip for a near fall. She does a power bomb, and uh, Eric Bischoff calls it a pile driver, to which I call him Vince an McMahon. Idiot. Yeah, Vince McMahon. <laughs> what a maneuver! <laughs> At least what a maneuver is fun. <laughs> Toyota goes for a suplex, but Nakano is too much for her. So Yoshida comes in to join, only for Nakano to then hit a double suplex on them. I mean, what a fun spot. Akuto comes flying in with a splash, only for Toyota and Yoshida to move and kick Nagano down to the floor, followed by a double drop kick to Akuto 
to send her out to the floor as well. Yoshida goes through the ropes with a tope suicida, followed by a springboard plancha by Toyota out onto Nakano and Akuto. Back in the ring, Toyota body slams Akuto before going up top for a moonsault for the two count. And it, during all of this, Eric Bischoff says, uh, textbook offense. And I'm like, fuck you, you've never seen anything like this, <laughs> you fucking dickhead. Toyota then lifts Akuto onto her shoulders for the ocean cyclone suplex, but Akuto rolls through for a near fall. Yoshida comes in with a clothesline that Akuto ducks and delivers a bridging German suplex. Nakano is tagged in, sending Yoshida to a corner where she leaps up to the top, coming off with a crossbody for a two count. Yoshida hits several drop kicks, only for Nakano to no sell them. So Toyota comes in for them to hit stereo drop kicks to finally knock Nakano down. Nakano is then tossed to the ropes, ducks a double team clothesline, while Akuto climbs the ropes, flying in with a missile drop kick to her opponents. The split leg uh, one, where each foot for each for each opponent, which I just I just love that so much. Nakano then takes her opponents out to the floor, where Akuto falls out with a senton from the top rope. Once back in the ring, Nakano climbs the ropes, while Akuto body slams Oshida, before Nakano leaps off with a flying leg drop for the pin. And the win. Short list. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was going to ask if this was the one that you were uh, hinting at. Yes. Oh, I mean, yeah. Mentioning... Short list women's match us. <laughs> we don't see a whole lot of them, and uh, these girls did the work. Yes. I also love the senton spot where it's like Bolmacano's like not there to save. And she's like, she's too far away. So, yeah, they didn't wait for her to get there to catch him. They did the senton. Yep. I mean, I'm all for safety, but not, like, don't do things you don't know how to do, but also don't do things that don't make sense. So, I appreciate that. Yes. Smart match. Good match. Fast match. Exciting match. Mm -hmm. So, we head to our fifth match. Scott Norton versus Shinya Hashimoto for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Last time we saw both these guys, that was at Battle 7, episode 140. And the two show respect with a handshake to begin, before a feeling out process with neither gaining an advantage, until Norton avalanche splashes Shinya in the corner several times. Scott sends Hashimoto to the opposite corner and charges in, only to run into some kicks. Followed by a Shinya spinning heel kick for a two count. I love Shinya. You know what I kind of thought I had while watching this? Is Scott Norton kind of like a New Japan, like Tomohiro Ishii at this point in time? Where it's like, he's a guy that can like get a win, but he can take a pin, but I don't know. This was just a thought I had. He's the big, he's a big beefy boy that uh, is no bullshit. Hashimoto begins to work Norton's arm as Bischoff talks about Scott's AWA days. Before Tanay mentions that Norton went to the same high school as Road Warrior Hawk. Mm. That's a good tidbit. Scott fires up with a leaping shoulder tackle and multiple short arm clotheslines, but Shinya ducks a clothesline attempt, delivering another spinning heel kick before going back to the arm work. Hashimoto starts hitting some of his stiff kicks, but Norton just absorbs them. Ducks another spinning heel kick before delivering a clothesline and a reverse neckbreaker for a near fall. Tanay lets us know that there is a 20-minute time limit as Scott hits a body slam, some elbow drops, before trying for a powerbomb, which Shinya reverses into a back body drop, followed by a drop kick. Hashimoto's back to the arm work, only for Norton to rake the eyes, starts scraping Shinya's face across the ropes before hitting a pump splash for a two count. Scott delivers several shots to the gut and starts to work a chin lock as Tanay says that there is about six minutes left. Norton with the gut buster, elbow drop and a clothesline for a near fall. But Hashimoto fires up to the leg sweep Scott, starts to use his stiff kicks before delivering a DDT for a two count. Shinya then goes to a chin lock 
only for Norton to fight out to hit what was supposed to be a power slam, but ends up looking like a DDT. Scott then goes for the power bomb again, but it's blocked by Hashimoto, so Norton transitions into a vertical suplex for an airfall. The two men are trading chops as they are, as we're told that there are about three minutes left. When Shinya with a thrust kick for a two count. Scott comes right back with a kick to the midsection before finally hitting the powerbomb. Followed by heading up top to hit a splash for the pin. And no, no Hashimoto kicks out. Norton tosses Shinya to the ropes, but then the bell rings. And it's a time limit draw. Could have timed that time limit draw a little better, but you know... Yes. <laughs> I do love seeing Shinya Hashimoto kick people, and I like Scott watching Scott Norton hit people, so there's that. Also, I believe it was today that said that Scott Norton trained um, in Canada with Pillman and Chris Benoit. And I was like, oh, neat to know. Hmm. He's just been living his best Japanese life. Yeah. So remember that this show took place in April, but was airing in August. But during that time, Shinya had lost the title to Keiji Muta. So, he wasn't really the champion at the time that this all happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Eric then sends us to a video package with more highlights of the festival celebration. We get some large flag waving, some gymnasts, dancers with basketballs. The stands are even used in the production. Which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. Kind of hard to see because the quality of the yeah. video is not great, but it was beautiful. Just what they showed. Absolutely. We then go to our sixth match: Tadao Yashuda versus Road Warrior Hawk. And this match happened on night two. Correct. Uh, Yashuda wasn't working double duty. Was from the second night, and it was actually supposed to be a tag match, but Road Warrior Animal was still out with a back injury, so. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be a full Road Warriors match. He didn't want to void his Lloyds of London's contract. <laughs> if they had those back then. They did. He was one of the guys that had them. There was only a handful of them back then that had them, but he was one of them. So Tadao starts it off with palm strikes, but Hawk responds with a clothesline and a shoulder block. The two start running into each other like sumo wrestlers, with the shooter getting the advantage. But the Road Warrior jumps right back to his feet to drop Tadal with a clothesline. Hawk with a leaping shoulder tackle, body slam, and heads up top for a splash. Only for Yashuda to avoid and deliver a butterfly suplex. Which of course, Road Warrior no-sells and connects with another clothesline. Hawk hits a power slam and a fist drop before going up top again for the flying clothesline. For the pin. And, and the win. win. I love the stomp. He does the sumo stomp. And I'm like, yeah, that made me feel good. And then, of course, Eric shits on it. And I can't remember. Is it Ishikawa? Ishikawa? The other announcer? Yeah. Sonny Ono. Sonny Sonny, Sonny Ono is really trying to fight back. uh, And he's obviously right. And Eric Bischoff is wrong. But has Eric Bischoff ever been right? For 83 weeks. in his entire life. Hiring. And it lasted for 83 weeks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hiring... (laughs) I, yeah, like, yeah, allowing the NWO to happen. Yeah. We then go to our seventh match. The Steiner Brothers of Rick and Scott Steiner versus Hiroshi Hase and Kazuke Sasaki. I mean, we've seen these four guys uh, really have some bangers in the past. Absolutely. We last saw Rick at Three Way Dance, episode 148, while the other three were at Battle 7, episode 140. Rick was off getting his uh, real estate license. Braun Sr. <laughs> just just kidding. He's a real estate agent now. So Hase and Scott start us off where Steiner tosses Hiroshi out of the ring onto Yuji Nagata with a gorilla press slam. Suzaki and Rick both run in with the dog-faced gremlin drilling Kanzuke with a belly-to-belly suplex, sending him to the floor for Hase and Suzaki to regroup. You love those. I love the Steiner suplexes. Even though they're so not safe. They're just dumping men on their heads and necks. Back in, Scott and Hase go into a knuckle lock, which Hiroshi bridges out of before hitting a hook kick and a drop kick, 
only for Scott to come back with, with a T-bone suplex and a tilt-a-whirl side slam. Rick and Kazuke both tag in, where the two trade blows, including multiple Steiner lines, which Sasaki no-sells. Ducking another and delivering a thrust kick, goes for an elbow drop, only for Rick to move. They fight over a waist lock when Kazuki gets the advantage to hit a release German. Heads up top, where he leaps off, but it's right into the waiting arms of Rick to deliver an overhead belly-to-belly suplex. Mm. Suzaki reverses an Irish whip and nails Rick with a power slam. Hase comes in to deliver chops, which the dog-faced gremlin no-sells, before connecting with a Steiner line and a reverse Oklahoma stampede. Scott comes in with a spinning belly-to-belly suplex for a two-count. Continues the attack with kicks, only for Hase to catch Scott with a desperation dropkick, but Steiner grabs the ankle to prevent him from making a tag. Oh, I know, I love that. Just, just, just grab your line, just anchor, so simple. It makes so much sense. Rick comes in for a release German suplex for a near fall. Ah, Hase right on his head. Followed by Scott coming in to lock on an STF, but Hiroshi makes it to the ropes to break the hold only to then be whipped right into a Scott overhead belly-to-belly suplex. The Steiners continue to work over Hase when Hiroshi attempts to make his way across the ring, only for Scott to hit a Tiger Driver for a two-count. Rick is tagged in and he tosses Hase to the ropes, who comes back ducking a Steiner line and hitting a Uranagi out of nowhere, allowing him to make the... Hot tag! Kanzuke in with drop kicks and body slams to everyone, but a low blow by Scott slows the momentum, allowing the Steiner to try for a double team clothesline, only for Sasaki to duck and deliver a double clothesline of his own. Kazuke lifts up Rick with Hiroshi flying off the top rope for a back suplex bulldog combo. Hase then continues with a giant swing of Rick. Getting 12 rotations. Airplane spin, baby. Which causes Hiroshi to be dizzy as well. Inspiring the Cesaros of today. Well, whatever he's going to go by next. With your uh, swing. Thank you. He's trademarked CSRO. I know. I wish he would just go away and then for a while show up somewhere with a new gimmick. Claudio. Claudio Castavella. Doesn't matter what it is, but not Cesaro. So he's the next one that has left and gone to. Initials. You got PAC. You got FTR. Now you got CSZR or whatever it is. CSRO. Yeah, but it's like, dude, CSRO's not even a good name. Whatever. The two men then fight over a waist lock, with Rick finally hitting another release German. Oh, disgusting! Before tagging in Scott, who delivers a pump handle slam for a near fall, as Sasaki breaks it up. Rick runs in to brawl with Kanzuke, taking him out to the floor while Scott nails a Steiner screwdriver for the pin and the win. Which we don't actually see because the camera decides to be on the brawling. On the I know, I was like, what was it? I know it was a big move. I rewound it a couple times. And I was like, I mean, probably a screwdriver. Oh, it was definitely a screwdriver. Yeah. I mean, that's what the position he had him in. Go Steiner boys. I mean, a good match between these four men. Uh, not the best one not we've seen. Not as good as their last one that we saw between these four. I mean, the best one is still the one where he just tosses him up and then catches for the driver. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's, to that move alone is just the, one of the most memorable things. And it's like Eric talking about the uh, Steiner brothers trying to get into WCW, but you know the tag team competition right now over there is pretty, pretty intense. Oh, is it? Yeah, the Nasty Boys and the Blue Bloods. I mean, I like Harlem the Blue Heat. Bloods. Harlem Heat. I like Harlem Heat, but they're none of them are the Steiner Brothers. No. No shade to Regal and Eaton. No. No shade to uh, Booker T. A little bit of shade to Stevie Ray. We all know what the Nasties can do. They did it every time, oh, every match. Don't forget about the uh, Stud Stable. Oh, yes. Mm. Huh. Your second favorite. More like bunk. Bunkhouse Bunk. Like, can we get a faction <laughs> of the Studs Table? Or can we just get Eric Watts to join the Studs Table? And just... So you can hate them all. Exactly. <laughs> maybe maybe had he been in there, I would have liked all of them. But they were separated, so I had to hate them all. 
individually. Equally, separately. So our announcers start talking the main event, and Kazal says, Flair has no chance, but Eric just laughs it off. We then see a video package of the competitors preparing for the match. And that match is our eighth match, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, versus Antonio Inoki. And the two men are back, back and forth with some mat wrestling to start until Antonio catches Nate with a shoulder block before stomping him out to the floor. And the crowd is finally actually a little bit alive because they big, it's a big match. Know who Inoki is. And they've been playing Ric Flair and Inoki on TV. And they Inoki is, you know, the face of this whole transaction. It really is just a government transaction when it comes down to it which is why it's so historically important (laughs) back in the ring the nature boy corners Anoki and starts to chop away which sends Antonio out to the floor to regroup but Flair follows out to run him into a ring post before bringing back into the ring with a vertical suplex for several two counts I know it's nice to see the stalling suplex back in via Rick this early in the match Nate keeps up the attack with a shin breaker to start working the legs before applying an STF and delivering a chop block. The Nature Boy connects with the rolling knee drop and another shin breaker to lock on the figure four. But Anoki just powers out of the hold to escape. Anoki's a big boy and you haven't worked for leg enough, Rick. Flair tries to reapply it, but Antonio cradles him up for a near fall, followed by a backslide for a two count as well. Anoki's fired up, and he starts to punch Nate from one side of the ring to the other, causing a flare flop, followed by an Irish whip for the flare flip, sending the Nature Boy to the floor. I know, he flipped flipped him too hard. He's, I know he's got a little bit of size on him, and uh, he didn't make it to that apron. He made it straight to the floor. He's flipping him for all of Korea, mm-hmm. well, North Korea. Back in the ring, the dirtiest player in the game hits a low blow take Antonio down before heading up top where Inoki meets him to press slam him off to the mat. Antonio with a drop kick for a two count and then the two men start trading blows once again with Flair body slamming Inoki followed by an elbow drop for a near fall. Nate keeps it up with a back suplex but the fatigue costs him the pinfall. Flair goes for another body slam only for Antonio to counter into a head scissors followed by a rolling kapoo kick. Anoki then heads up top for the flying knee drop, and an insiguri for the pin, and And the the win. Post-match, Flair looks like he wants to keep going, but instead, he extends a hand in respect. Bum, 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 I love Shake my hand and get me the fuck out of here. Just to, like, kind of highlight the finish, the uh, knee drop... Off the top is to the back of Ric Flair's head. Yeah. And then he hits the enziguri. So it's like, not just a knee drop. It's like to the back of the head and then the enziguri. So the pin makes a little more I sense. I mean, I know that Anoki is the kind of the guy that came up with the enziguri. And so it's kind of a signature thing. Yeah. But I'm like, times have finish changed. should have come after the, the knee drop. Yeah, yeah. But it's like insult to injury, I guess. It's like to put Rick down. But yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Because that knee drop to the back of the head was pretty gnarly. So Bischoff says his goodbyes as Antonio celebrates in the ring before we get more highlights of the ceremonies as we fade to black. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Collision in Korea? We know how important Antonio Inoki is. We haven't seen a whole lot of Antonio Inoki. He is... We were not watching his... Him in his heyday. So we've seen Antonio Inoki in special matches, and we've always been kind of disappointed. I think this is the best Antonio Inoki match we've watched, and it's nice to see kind of a more old-school Ric Flair here. Like, it feels more like a 80s Ric Flair than, uh, you know, him being basically... Like top of the mid card almost in WCW right now, but this feels more like and looks more like a good flare match 
from back in the day. And this is not an Anoki like roll around the mat thing that we've seen before where it's like, what's going on here? This feels like a, a good, a good solid wrestling match, whether it be Japanese or NWA of the seventies or eighties. So that's kind of one of the things where I was like, ah, we've seen some Anokis where we're like, we want to love, uh, love these matches. And this is the closest to being like, oh, like this feels, this feels like a fight. Which was, what's what I want out of a wrestling match. I want to like the show. It's got some, some good moments to it, but. Not a must watch. Yeah, it's, I mean, you can, you can watch the dark side of the ring, you know, collision in korea and be okay yeah i would say watching it just because you know we're doing this show it i'm not saying i didn't like it but i didn't enjoy it as much as i hoped i would i agree with that it just it's kind of a giant exhibition show yeah i mean this show is really only worth watching for curiosity and historical purposes and historical value Um, it's really the only reason the the biggest thing is the there's a hundred and ninety thousand people in this stadium and there is not an atmosphere at all. Until the last match. And it's still So not it enough. makes the show feel very surreal. Also the the like the post show commentary is gives it a weird vibe as well. And then the camera never really shows the crowd at all. It stays on the ring the whole time. So it feels way smaller than it is. It's like watching wrestling during the COVID times where they had no audience, but they had an audience. <laughs> kind of. And Kind of like that. Yeah. There's yeah. people there. You could see people in the crowd, but mm-hmm. nobody really cared yeah, too the, much. The... If, I would say just... if you're going to watch The Dark Side, it's worth watching the Flair and Oki thing just because of what it is and then the women's tag match yeah everything else there's the better versions of those people is, having matches together is that one's right where it needs to be in the middle to kind of wake you up a little bit get the blood flowing again yeah this is not the best too cold and peggy bash. and and yeah and uh chris benoit wild pegasus match this is not the best steiners and uh why are they calling Hase. it pegasus? they don't have a mask on he's still no he never wears the mask I thought he had a mask he's got the he doesn't have his teeth fixed yet but the it's not the best like Hashimoto match obviously it's not the best Scott Norton match although I think the Scott Norton Hashimoto match was serviceable and see I that was probably one of my I mean other than the I'm always bored with Scott Norton yeah and I my introduction to Scott Norton was when he was in WCW and this is a typical kind of match for him where it's just slow uh-huh. yeah. and plotting because and, he just doesn't have a whole lot of offense. Yeah, I think mine's, for me, it's just like, well, I like, like, I like when Hashimoto's fat ass to look at, but yeah. to watch him wrestle, it's... He doesn't have the fire of a hawk yeah. or animal. Yeah, had I not seen the stuff that he's done in WCW, I might be more impressed with him with the stuff I see in Japan, but it's just one of those things. It's, it's like, oh, it's a little bit like, better oh, than what I'm used to. Oh, it's a Scott match. Yeah. Alright, let me get comfortable. Well, glad we watched it. Um, I've been excited to see this. I didn't really even realize there was video of it uh, until more recently. I knew that about it, of course, because of uh, Dark Side of the Ring, and I had heard of it before then, but come for the historical Come for the reasons, wrestling, stay, stay for the for opening the, ceremonies. Stay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I will say, do you guys agree with my feeling on uh, what we have watched on this show of Inoki? I have only really watched his one match with Regal, and that it match was sucked. not. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That it was not what I expected to be. But yeah. I don't really have anything else to go off of. I feel like that. we may have seen uh, maybe. A two I've or seen two some other matches, including the ones that we've watched of Inoki, and like, do just, I need to go back and watch him and Muhammad Ali? Is, Am I gonna this be is excited? Prob- this is no. probably his no. best match. That we've- <laughs> I like it yeah. when he goes dickhead mode, uh, which but here I I really got a very good uh, old school Ric Flair vibe from this match that I enjoyed. I mean, it's definitely not in the top ten matches of Ric Flair that oh, we've ever watched. Absolutely not, absolutely. No. Not. But I mean, it, this it's, feels it's definitely better than him going through the motions against Hogan. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's better than Black Scorpion. 
Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Uh, I don't know. Bull in the Kano, uh double Manami suplexing the girls. Toyota. <laughs> uh, she is a hottie <laughs> who can actually wrestle. I yeah. mean, yeah, the, that women's match is definitely the most exciting match. The women's here. match, again, just the stuff that I saw of the opening ceremony thing, that would have been so yeah, fun, cool to watch. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of that. Just definitely. those little bits and pieces were exciting and more interesting than a lot of the matches. Yeah, it's like I was like, oh, it's a clip show, and then in hindsight, I'm like, well, I'm glad we didn't have to watch three hours of this or more. Mm-hmm. Now, before I went into it, that's what I was thinking: is this is going to be like a four-hour show, isn't it? And then I went and push play and hit my little like arrow up thing to see or how much is it. Yeah, it was one fifty-five. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, but then it felt like it was a four-hour show. I didn't quite feel <laughs> that, but I also watched it in two cities. I mean. A lot of these, ma- like other than the women's match, and maybe even the women's match a little bit, which I was enjoying, so I- I'm not going to complain too much, but I feel like almost every match went too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what this feels like? It feels like the world's most attended house show. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And that's really kind of what it is. Like, it would have been fun to be, be there. We would have, I would have had a great time uh, in a show I don't like know this. about that one. It's not, not, not the one in North Korea, but like if, let's say this was like a, a house show in, in Oklahoma City. Like It would have been a great house show in well, Oklahoma yeah. City. But it's, it feels like a house show. Definitely. It, uh, it, considering how huge it is, it feels smaller than a, great Ameri- than a uh, Clash of Champions. A small shout out to Mike Tanay for... Be, being awesome being awesome because yeah. we had Bischoff just shitting all over the I think, thing honestly, and then Sonny Ono like trying to throw words in but it was kind of pointless but yeah. tonight today was actually like delivering information information that was good I mean I think the best commentary of all time might be Mike today uh, on the Triple A show the Triple A show uh, what is it in LA uh, when worlds collide world, yeah when worlds collide and it's like Southern California or whatever it's definitely the best uh, debut commentary debut of all time because that's like his debut commentary yeah. work and it is gorgeous but here he's doing his job and uh, Eric Bischoff is making it hard for him uh, I think that if Eric Bischoff Imagine was that. not the commentator this show may have been yeah, you know, bring, like, bring me Jesse, who could tell stories about Anoki or something from the past. Anything. I mean, bring me Jesse any day of the week, but you know that ship's kind of sound. How about most disappointing? The director on the Steiner screwdriver. Yeah. Show us the damn I move. I mean, yeah, they were probably scared that he was actually going to kill him because uh, Rick Dunn dropped Hase on his head twice, and I was like, "Oh, Rick, I love you, but be nice to Hase. We like him. We also like Hase a lot." He has the best theme song of all time. I mean, like I said, it felt like every match was yeah a few minutes longer than it needed to be, and that include I mean, Scorpio and Pegasus was the like, quickest one. Like even even that match, it felt longer than it probably should have been, and we know they could have gone another ten minutes and made it interesting. But the way that they were working the match, it just felt like it was yeah. A little slow and dragging. It felt like practice. Yeah, it wasn't them. Yeah, they've they've had better performances uh, in front of one thousand people in exactly. Philadelphia. Exactly. But it's like I mean I can't imagine that this was not a weird situation for all of these guys. We know it was. But. And I definitely never need to see a twenty-minute Scott Norton match ever again. Nope. No, you don't even need a twenty-minute Shinya Hashimoto match, no, and that comes no. from a Shinya Hashimoto fan. These are not the guys that go twenty-minute draws. You no, need you need some uh, leaner competition, mm-hmm. with maybe more of a move set. Because as much as I love Shinya I mean, Hashimoto, I think Shinya can go twenty minutes if he has an opponent that makes sense. Yes, he needs a smaller guy than him. But like, he's a guy that doesn't have a crazy move set either. His move set is legitimately just kicking yes. people, and I love that. But that for twenty minutes with Scott Norton. Who basically is just no selling him anyway. Yeah, he's just he's basically baby hawk. Yeah. Baby Hawk Norton. 
Best performer of the night? The Takano, ladies. Yeah. Toyota. No, no, yeah. Hoku. Yeah. Say the ladies. Tanae. Yeah. The um, one lady that, uh, what is it, uh, Mir- uh, Moriko, is the one that I was not familiar with. And she, I feel like she did the least in the match as well. But I'm even I don't know anything about her. She was in the match to take the pin. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the, the other girls are stars. Name. Yeah. Yasuda, just because yeah, he Yoshi- pulled double Yoshida. duty. Yasuda. Yeah, he pulled double duty. So I know Consi- it was two nights in a row yeah. on the same night, but still. Considering he had just kind of started wrestling, I... Think he had a, I thought he had a good vibe about him. He was better than I expected considering he was this ex sumo guy. He like pulls off like a, a nice uh, suplex. I liked the palm strike thing. Like he's obviously very big and it looked like yeah. his punches and stuff like being a former sumo. I well, just picture big I picture like big dudes for sumo. Oh yeah, they're tall, but as soon as they stop Yoko. from sumo, they legitimately uh, drop tons and tons weight. of weight. Like they if you see old sumo guys, most I mean, of them. Like if you watch, if you see an offensive lineman in American football, okay, like once they quit playing, they, yeah, they don't have to eat seven thousand calories a day to. Yeah, so they'll just drop all their weight pretty quick. Yeah, like unless you're talking about like Aki Bono, but he's Hawaiian, and they're just gonna be fat. It's just in their DNA. <laughs> <laughs> but like these Japanese guys, you know, you don't see very many uh, overweight Japanese guys. So as soon as they. Start, stop eating 10,000 calories a day. They shed the pounds pretty quick. How about most surprising? Eric being such a shithead and him being like... There's one point in the show where he says uh, there, uh, there's only one Korea in no South Korea. And I'm like, Jesus. And then he's saying Tommy and talking about how they basically are on lockdown in their hotel rooms. And I was just kind of surprised because I thought that that... I didn't realize that all of that kind of came out on this probably not very watched pay-per-view at the time. And I thought that that was more of a revelation through um, interviews and like post-internet, post-internet podcasting and uh, then your Dark Side of the Ring, which is obviously very recent. I didn't realize that he just had those things to say as soon as they did green screen commentary. Yeah. I mean, that a show that has kind of been hyped up in my head is like, this thing yeah. yeah, wasn't as good as the, I was. The event itself yeah. is impressive and incredible. The matches are milk toast, would be the way to put it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's great guys here, but they're not putting in they're not putting in the heavy uh, work that they would need to do in front of uh, wrestling fans because there's no wrestling fans. Yeah. Pretty but the women, they didn't get that note. They went hog wild. Yeah. yeah, pretty much just like you said, and I've said it before, that I didn't enjoy the show as much as I was expecting to given the the history and hype and everything behind it it's a uh, pass for me dog <laughs> I mean like I didn't hate watching it but uh, it's I, I can see myself going back and watching Jarrett and Michaels yeah, like I didn't we, hate watching it from I didn't week. enjoy watching it though I like the women's match yeah I shouldn't even say I like I love the women's match it was yeah. great I, but I have a I had a thing where I was kind of just like holding out hope because there's some matchups that are, oh, yeah. are nice. I was like, is this Steiner's and uh, like Hase match? Could there's no way this is going to be the best one, but will it be better than some of the other ones we've seen? And it's like, oh, it's kind of like the ones that aren't the best one. It was, oh, yeah. it was fine and good. And Hokuto or however you say her name, Akira Hokuto. Yeah, just most surprising was she came out of that big old costume that was following Bolnacano because I I was expecting some like big monster, chick to, yeah. yeah. And, and she's like, like it's a dainty little thing. Uh, ready to fly. Because <laughs> Nakano, Nakano's not going to fly but her leg drop uh, looks better than Hogan's. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The dusty finish. In the Tokyo Dome, Tatsumi Fujinami had won the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship from Ric Flair. Two months later, on May 19, 1991, Fujinami would make his way to Super Brawl, where the Nature Boy was waiting to regain his prestigious title. The two men would fight in and outside of the ring as they start the match, with Tatsumi focusing on the Nature Boy's back, while Nature would work the legs of Fujinami. They each would apply their signature submissions 
only for their opponent to escape each time. They would then head to the floor where Tatsumi would send Flair into a ring post, busting him open, allowing him to take control with an octopus stretch, which the nature boy escaped, only to flop down in exhaustion. Fujinami would take advantage with a pair of near falls, but Nage would begin to fight back with chops. Tatsumi would reverse a waist lock and attempt an O'Connor roll, only for Flair to shove him off to the ropes, sending him crashing into the ref, Tiger Hattori. The Nature Boy would then roll up Fujinami with the second ref, Bill Alfonso, entering the ring to count the pin for Ric Flair to regain the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship for the ninth time. A few months later, Nate would be stripped of the title along with the WCW World Heavyweight Championship when he would leave to go to the World Wrestling Federation. The NWA's top title would remain vacant until the next year when a tournament in Japan would determine the next champion. Um, Shout out to Tiger Hattori who was all over the show we just watched. Always good to see him. That's who the rep was on this one? Yeah, yep. probably off for the most, for of the most part. I thought he looked familiar. Next week, G1 Climax <gasps> Final 1995. Oh my god, I had no idea. Are they going to be in Philly? No. No, okay. no sir. Woo! They will be uh, in maybe like a Nagoya or Philly uh, free. Tokyo. Rogukan. Three yeah, weeks in a row. The Kogugikan. Yeah. Maybe even... It's just those two places. Yeah, yeah. Typically, I was going to say uh, Osaka. Maybe they're in Osaka, but probably not. I think they ran the entire tournament at the Gogugu Club. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. It's a... It's G1, baby. You know, it's going to be better than the Korea show. I hope so. We would assume. <laughs> we would assume. It might be. So music from this week's show is... I couldn't find an opening theme, so I'm going to play Antonio, one of Antonio Noki's theme songs, because it's a fun song. And Noki Bombaye by Antonio Noki and the Fighters. And the theme song he actually came out to on the show, and he won our main event, is Kimigayo, which is the Japanese national anthem ah. by Yoshishi Aku and Akamura Hayashi. I knew it was the Japanese National Anthem. Never knew the name of it. Uh, Inoki Bombaye sounds fun. I don't know that I know that song. It is a very fun song, and it was at the beginning of this episode, and you should listen to it. I will. I will be checking out Inoki Bombaye. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. If you have any questions, comments, concerns? Recipes, food ideas, beverages... Something we're gonna be in Japan next. So, I mean, yeah, Japan's uh, nice and easy. Yeah, give give me some some suggestions. Something, some barbecued eel. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> Sounds surprising. But you can do it's you can do that on our email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail or find <laughs> us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling h i s t o x. We'll talk to you next week. Later's Inoki. Bo- Bombay. <laughs> <laughs>